This is the best of the Buzzmeter podcast with Howie Kurtz. It's the Media Buzzmeter with Howard Kurtz. It was kind of an explosive night last night. You know what I'm saying? President Trump blew up or attempted to blow up the congressional coronavirus relief bill and then kind of blew up the pardon system with a whole slew of pardons and commutations. It was like, boom, boom, media going absolutely positively crazy over this. Uh, it's, you know, usually the couple of days before Christmas, kind of a quiet time. Congress wants to get out of town. Not much is happening. I think because there's so many moving parts here, we will deal with the news first. And at the end of the podcast, we'll have some of our usual chat about various items and um, less momentous uh, features in the news. So I have to separate the substance of what Trump is trying to do uh, on this $900 billion aid bill with the process. And let's start with the process. I mean, these negotiations have been going on for months and months. They've been uh, kicked up uh, into a very intense round in just the last few weeks. And during that entire time, President Trump basically had no role. He wasn't calling members of Congress. He wasn't giving speeches about the coronavirus bill. He was barely tweeting about it. There was one time, just one time, a couple of weeks ago, maybe 10 days, in which the President of the United States says, well, you know, these $600 stimulus checks that were part of the bill, uh, I think that's too low. I think it should be as high as 2000 And everybody said, that's really nice. And they went back to negotiating. Um, and so... He had, you know, sometimes he acts like he's the bystander in chief. Well, I don't like this thing that Congress did as if he doesn't have all the powers of the presidency, even here in his final month. So there's a lot of anger and frustration and, frankly, just bewilderment that he waits until both the House and the Senate in this delicate compromise. And there's plenty to criticize here, as I will detail in mere moments. Um, and then he says, you know what? I don't know about this bill. I think they should send me a new bill. You know, remember, uh, there were all these members uh, have already uh, departed for the Christmas break. Um, the Congress will expire and a new Congress will be sworn in in the beginning of January. And that's when the president, he didn't quite say, I'm going to veto the bill. He didn't quite say that. He did say that Congress has sent him a new bill. So he suggested, insinuated, clearly implied that he wasn't going to sign this one, which, you know, aside from the political fireworks surrounding it, which would be a real blow to millions of struggling families and millions of barely hanging on small businesses that are waiting on this aid. I know $600 per person doesn't sound like a lot of money, but if you're a family of four because kids are included, it's a $2,400 check at a time when maybe you're struggling uh, not just to buy Christmas presents, but you know to pay the rent, to pay the mortgage, uh, to pay for health care. Uh, same thing with the businesses that you know, there's so many layoffs, you got you have all the unemployed people, and there's this extra three hundred dollar um, a week, I guess, extra unemployment benefits that would have been extended for three months. What if none of this happens? I mean, everybody in the media were like, "Well, it's over. The House passed it, the Senate passed it. It's going to the president's desk." We had no reason to suspect that suddenly um, the president would throw this monkey wrench into the gears. Now, because he didn't say he's going to veto it, it could just be sort of trumping Trump and trying to create a little chaos at the end of the process. Uh, it also could be that Congress, although Congress, you know, not in town, not in session, I don't see how you even do this, you have to call everybody back, could override a presidential veto. 
because this passed both houses uh, by veto-proof majorities. So that would certainly put a lot of the Republicans in a difficult position. So let's get into the details here. The president called the bill a disgrace. A disgrace. And he rattled off all the things that are in it that he doesn't like. And like any bill, and this is one of the things I hate about Congress, you hate about Congress, everybody hates about Congress. There are always these last-minute provisions that are slipped in uh, because there's a very strong lobby that wants to get a break for its industry, for its members. And, you know, when you have a bill... You know, nobody wants to derail a bill. They, they say, well, you know, it's only uh, it's only $50 million or it's only $150 million or it's only a billion dollars. But in the $900 billion bill, what's a billion dollars? And so those who are represented, the, the powerful and wealthy special interest represented, have the lobbyists who know how to work the system. They tend to get their little ornaments put onto the Christmas tree. In this case, uh, Donald Trump is conflating two things. There is the coronavirus relief bill, but in order to get that passed, Congress combined it with a routine spending bill that keeps the government open, that funds the military, and that has things like foreign aid, so now the president, but he acted like it's all one bill. He says, well, foreign aid, why are we giving money to other countries when the priorities are here at home? And there was support in there, for example, for the Kennedy Center, here in Washington, the Smithsonian. Now, you can argue the merits back and forth about whether this should be in a big spending bill, but it wasn't really in, most of this stuff, wasn't really in the coronavirus bill. It was in this spending bill that actually there was going to be a government shutdown if Congress didn't pass something. So uh, what he says in a video posted online is, it's called the COVID relief bill, but it has almost nothing to do with COVID. Again, he's conflating these two things. Congress found plenty of money, says the president, for foreign countries, lobbyists, and special interests while sending the bare minimum to the American people. I am asking Congress to amend this bill and increase the ridiculously low $600 to $2,000. Well, guess who absolutely loved that line? The Democrats. The Democrats are like, sure, Mr. President, anything you want, Mr. President. So here's Nancy Pelosi. Because remember, the House had wanted $2,000 checks, stimulus checks, back in the spring. That was always the Democratic negotiating position. It's the Republicans who felt like this is too much spending uh, in a deficit situation. Mitch McConnell, you know what he wanted? He wanted zero. He wanted zero money for stimulus checks because he just felt like the country can't afford it. And you can, again, you can argue that back and forth. So $600 was a compromise. The Democrats thought maybe they played their card right, cards right, they would get $1,200. President is like, hey, this is a Democratic wish list, $2,000 per person. So for a family of four, that'd be $8,000. Now that's a lot of money. That would certainly be a boost to the economy. So Nancy Pelosi goes on Twitter and says, Republicans repeatedly refuse to say what amount the president wanted for direct checks. At last, the president has agreed to $2,000. Democrats are ready to bring this to the floor this week by unanimous consent. Let's do it, says Nancy. <laughs> this is just a hoot. Um, and, um, you know, the Republicans were very pleased with themselves because, you know, McConnell managed to sort of, you know, he was the one who had to bring his caucus along. Um, and he had sort of, you know, these victorious statements, help is on the way. Um, you know who else likes it? Chuck Schumer. Chuck Schumer's like, we're glad to pass more aid Americans need. Maybe Trump can finally make himself useful and get Republicans not to block it again. But if you're the Senate Republicans and you've gone through these arduous negotiations, um, you're, you're like, no, we, we already passed this. Where were you when it counted? Why didn't you weigh in? Why didn't you call in members? Why didn't you get on the phone with the majority leader? 
And you know who really must be pissed off is Steve Mnuchin, the Treasury Secretary, presumably acting, I mean, he was the lead negotiator on this, presumably acting with the president's approval. He's the one who cut this deal, who got the $600 stimulus checks, who got the $300 unemployment checks, who got the aid to small businesses. He said, this is a great birthday present for me because it's my birthday. Put out all these statements. And, and, and Trump completely cut the legs out from under him. Got to be frustrating if you're Steve Mnuchin and you thought this was going to be your last accomplishment before you and the rest of the administration um, have to pass the baton. So what did Congress do, just to go back on this, this year-end spending bill to fund the government through, through the next fiscal year, which ends next September 30th, it's a $1.4 trillion bill. And again, I'm not a fan of the way Congress does business because you know, this, became, became, this bill became a vehicle, a Christmas tree, if you like, uh, for restoring Pell Grants for incarcerated students, uh, the money going to the Smithsonian Museums, uh, and a bunch of other things. And you can look at them, and some of them are just pet projects of members. Some of them are clearly gifts to special interests. Some of them are arguable on the merits. But that's what happens when there was a legitimate complaint, and this is amazing, that both Ted Cruz and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez agreed on, which is nobody's had time to read this bill. The whole voluminous combined bill, COVID and the regular spending, 5,593 pages. And it gets dropped the day before, and they're supposed to vote on it the next day. I mean, they had hours to read it. So it's ridiculous. The staff maybe has read pieces of it. And they're all saying this is no way to do business. And this has been going on for decades. Congress passes these things, barely knows what's in it. Democratic administrations, Republican administrations. Uh, now, on the substance, Trump also criticized a provision in the coronavirus part of the bill that would allow some family members of undocumented immigrants to claim benefits. Interesting debate there. I can see where that would uh, rile up a lot of people. But again, it was part of a compromise. The Democrats had to give things up, like aid to state and cities. The, the Republicans had to give things up, like uh, curtailing the Fed's powers. Uh, Trump also said, oh, this is, this is amazing. This is even in there. Um, Trump also said a measure allowing business expenses at restaurants to be deducted for two years, that wasn't enough. He wanted to be extended for a longer period of time. This is like the three martini lunch thing, as it used to be called, when people drank a lot of martinis, I guess. Uh, allowing businesses, when you have a business meal, to deduct that as a business expense. I, you know, a lot of businesses do, with it, do this. I don't have a huge problem with it. But at a time when people are hurting during a pandemic, it does seem like, okay, extend it for two years and let's worry about it some other time. So here's a legitimate outrage uh, noted by the New York Times in this over 5,000-page bill. Uh, some tax experts are calling it a $200 billion giveaway to the rich. It's a little complicated, so stay with me. Tens of thousands of businesses re receive these PPP loans, right, from the federal government. And with the promise that the loans would be forgiven tax-free if they agreed to keep the employees that they hired with that money on the payroll. So that was up front. You know, you want to help small businesses, here is a loan, and you don't have to pay it back if you keep the jobs. But then for some businesses and their accountants, that was not enough. They went to Congress with a new, pretty outrageous request. Not only should the forgiven loans not be taxed as income, but the expenditures used, the money they spent from these loans, should be tax deductible. In other words, a classic double dip. The businesses get free money from Uncle Sam, and then they get to deduct that from their taxes. So they get paid twice, right? 
You get the money. You don't even have to pay back the money, even though it's technically a loan. And then you deduct it from your taxes, so you get uh, twice the pop. Wow. How the hell did that get in there? And the answer is, as it almost always is inside the Beltway, lobbyists. All right, let's see. Uh, Meanwhile, Washington Post has a piece about uh, Trump, who, by the way, released this video last night in which he again went through, uh, this is outrageous, the election is being stolen, this is fraud, there's no way Biden got uh, 81 million votes, Uh, he got more than Obama, that's not possible, there's all this evidence, and we cannot allow this to happen in our country. It's similar to almost everything he said uh, over the past few weeks. He made this video. He didn't do it to the press. He didn't want the optics. He just wanted to do. And and according to the stories, um, senior administration officials did not even know that the president was in another room recording this video. So the Post puts it this way, that the GOP is plunging into open warfare over Joe Biden's victory. President now taunting Mitch McConnell. I write about this in a column today on foxnews.com about how... um, you know, the president has these allies until they're no longer useful. And by the way, this is true of every president, but Donald Trump, like a lot of things, takes it to a whole new level. So Mitch McConnell is his absolutely steadfast uh, top ally on Capitol Hill for four years. And McConnell says nothing about election fraud for weeks. And then when the Electoral College votes, he says, OK, I want to congratulate Joe Biden. And that now has made him on the outs. Now he's an opponent. Now he's an enemy and other Republicans as well. So here's one of the many things that Trump tweeted last night. Um, Republicans in the Senate so quickly forget. Right now, they would be down eight seats without my backing them in the last election. Rhino John Thune, Senator John Thune is, uh, you know, a member of the GOP leadership in the Senate. Now he's a rhino because he too said, well, we have to, you know, we have to accept the results of the election. Rhino John Thune, Mitch's boy, should just let it play out. South Dakota doesn't like weakness. He will be primaried in 2022. Political career over. Three exclamation points. So this is exactly why Republican members of Congress are afraid of crossing Trump, because he will remain the de facto leader of the Republican Party. He will gin up some primary challenge. He could, in theory, you know, depending on how much clout he has two years from now, go to that state and, and look, he did it to Sessions. His former Attorney General, Jeff Sessions, got drubbed by Tommy Tuberville. Uh, so now he's threatening to primary John Thune, who's the number two GOP senator. Um, and in an email sent to GOP lawmakers, according to this story, by a White House aide, Trump circulated, this is fascinating, a compilation of polls in which he appeared to take credit for McConnell's political standing in Kentucky. The email had the subject line, from POTUS. And the aide wrote, as the president's request, see, please, please see the attachment. And he had what, how McConnell was faring against Democrat Amy McGrath in his re-election race in Kentucky and how he got a lot more popular, uh, you know, when Trump formally endorsed him. And at the top of the PDF, it says, in all caps, sadly, Mitch forgot. He was the first one off the ship. Well, that's not even factually accurate because he, uh, McConnell, as I say, waited until December 14th when the Electoral College voted. And at that point, it's kind of hard to make the case that Donald Trump's going to have a second term, right? Here's Thune talking to reporters on Monday night about this, this maneuver that President wants, where on January 6th, rather than routinely accepting the Electoral College results, uh, one Republican senator and one Republican House member team up from the same state to fight this and to challenge it, and then Congress has to debate it. I don't know anyone is committed to doing it, Thune said, 
But the thing they've got to remember is it's just not going anywhere. It's going to be down like a shot dog. And I just don't think it makes a lot of sense to put everybody through this when you know what the ultimate outcome is going to be. So now Thune is on the outs, primary in 2022. And whether it happens or not, that's the threat from the outgoing president. You're listening to the best of the BuzzMeter podcast with Howie Kurtz. All right, now let's get to the pardons, right? Well, there's a lot to unpack here. And let me just say before I start, again, I try to be fair about these things, uh, just as I say that the president has a reasonable case to make on bigger stimulus checks. He just should have made it when the game was going on. This is, I mean, now the game's in overtime, to use uh, a sports analogy. So every modern president, to varying degrees, has had controversial pardons. goes back to Bill Clinton pardoning the fugitive financier Mark Rich. It goes back to George H.W. Bush pardoning uh, Cap Weinberger and others involved in the Iran-Contra scandal. Um, Obama had his share. George W. Bush had his share. Often people who uh, have, are well-connected have well-connected lawyers, are wealthy, are donors, are friends of POTUS, they have a way of getting their application to the top of the pile. And by the way, in the 20 pardons and commutations that the president issued last night, first of all, many of them, not all of them, but many of them did not go through the normal Justice Department process. And look, the president has the constitutional power. He doesn't have to have a process. He could just say, I think this is bad. I'm letting you out of jail, whatever it is. Uh, A Harvard Law School professor named Jack Goldsmith did a tabulation uh, that of uh, Trump's 45 pardons or commutations before last night, this is not including last night, 88% went to people with personal ties to Trump or people who furthered his political aims, allies. Okay, so let's see. Here's the New York Times lead. It just packs a lot of punch into one sentence. In an audacious pre-Christmas round of pardons, President Trump granted clemency on Tuesday to two people who pleaded guilty in the special counsel's Russia investigation, four Blackwater guards convicted in connection with the killing of Iraqi civilians, and three corrupt former Republican members of Congress. How's that for one night's work? Remarkable assertion of pardon power by the president. Um, So where do we even start here? So one of the pardons in the Russia probe went to George Papadopoulos. He was an informal foreign policy advisor in 2016. He pled guilty the following year to making false statements to federal officials as part of the Mueller investigation. Now, look, Papadopoulos was, was pled guilty. He served a brief prison term. And I think, you know, you could argue he was a fringe player. He already did his time. That's the kind of situation where I think a pardon is more appropriate as opposed to, you know, before Roger Stone even reports to prison or uh, before, even after Mike Flynn pleads guilty, but before he has to serve any time, the president cuts that short. Um, more outrage, and a lot of people in the military community, understandably, who take war crimes very seriously are really really angry and upset about this are the are the uh, pardons of the four former U.S. service members who were convicted on charges um, related to the killing of Iraqi civilians while working as contractors for Blackwater back in 2007, you know, during the height of the Iraq war. One of them had been sentenced to life in prison after justice had gone to great lengths to prosecute him. This guy, Nicholas Slatton, been a Blackwater contractor, was sentenced for his role in the killing of 17 Iraqi civilians in Baghdad, a massacre that left 
one of the most lasting stains of the war on the United States. Among the, those killed were two boys, 8 and 11. So, you know, this just did tremendous damage to U.S. credibility with Iraq at a time when we were trying to help the Iraqi government um, against the insurgents and so forth. And, you know, I don't know the, 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 the gory details of each case, but when you go through the process and there's Justice Department prosecution, and, it's, and, you know, a lot of people don't get prosecuted for war crimes, but here this was so egregious. And then Trump just pardons them. But then we get, and this is the part that bothers me, because it's sort of like, why have laws if, if, if you're a congressman and you blatantly violate the law, you get convicted, and the president of your party just wipes the slate clean, you know, doesn't that undermine faith and confidence in the judicial system? I think so. And again, I'm, you know, the Democrats do this too. But in one fell swoop, the president pardoned three former Republican members of Congress. One of them, Duncan Hunter, was about to begin serving an 11-month sentence next month. He pleaded guilty last year to one charge of misusing campaign funds. So Duncan Hunter was you, you used the money he got from supporters for himself. It's illegal. He pleaded guilty to it. All right. Then Chris Collins, the New York congressman who had been serving, so at least he was already serving part of his term, a 26-month sentence. He pleaded guilty last year to making false statements to the FBI and conspiring to commit securities fraud. This was an insider trading case. So why have those laws if a member of Congress, of all people, can violate that and then get his prison term uh, commuted? Okay. The third person, Steve Stockman, former Texas congressman, Republican, of course, he was convicted two years ago on charges of fraud and money laundering. He was serving a 10-year sentence. And uh, he had Sidney Powell on his side. She's the lawyer who's been pushing all these conspiracy theories about the election. She was also Mike Flynn's lawyer. Uh, and I guess she made the case for Steve Stockman. 10-year sentence. Um, convicted on fraud and money laundering. So, again, the president has the power to do that, uh, but this was uh, quite an eye-opener. Uh, Axios says, so why did the president do this? Axios' uh, Jonathan Swan says, well, Trump loves pardons for the same reason he relishes executive orders, pure power and instant gratification. Well, all presidents like that because it's one of the few things where you don't have to go to Congress, you don't have to go to the courts, the Constitution says you can do it. Axios says he wants attention as the nation moves on from the election and President-elect Biden getting more attention. Um, one presidential advisor said that Trump sees Biden being relevant every day. That explains why Trump tweeted 14 minutes after announcing the pardons, calling on Congress to uh, change the stimulus bill. And it splits the party. This is interesting. Trump wants the Republican Party to remain beholden to him, says Axios, and is desperate to his power within the party after January 20th. So, uh, top Republicans are now queasy about the two Georgia runoffs, especially if they end up not getting this COVID relief bill. So these are among the reasons that are being speculated about. All right, a couple other things to get to here. Deborah Burks, you know, she used to be on TV all the time, along with Anthony Fauci, uh, as a top White House coronavirus task force member. Well, she now says she's going to retire. Uh, now, obviously, she's a political appointee. I don't think that uh, Joe Biden has any interest in retaining her. But what she is saying in an interview with the site Newsy is that she wants to be helpful. 
She'll stick around as long as she's wanted during the transition to help the new administration be successful, and she will be helpful in any role that people think I can be helpful in, and then I will retire. So what's behind this, beside the change of administrations? Um, she says, I, uh, I have to say that this experience has been a bit overwhelming. It's been very difficult on my family. So she got into trouble, and I think she partially got a bun wrap here. Let's see what you think. Uh, the AP reported on Monday that the day after Thanksgiving, she traveled to one of her vacation properties that her family owns on Delaware's Fenwick Island, accompanied by three generations of her family. Um, now, Burks told the AP that she wasn't going there to celebrate Thanksgiving. She was going there to winterize the property before selling it. She said that everybody who was on the trip belongs to her immediate household, although she acknowledged that they live in two different homes. So, you know, she went with people who she lives with. That's fine. She went with other close relatives who she doesn't live with, and that's not so fine. But it's not like going to, a, you know, a, a, a party with, a, with 100 people who aren't wearing masks at a fancy restaurant. It's not like getting on a plane and going uh, to Cabo, uh, as various mayors and governors were found to have done. So, you know... I think she did the wrong thing. She could have gotten someone else to take care of this, maybe you know, hire a contractor, I don't know. But here's what she's told the AP. Now, here's what she said, excuse me, in the news interview. What was done last week to my family? You know, it says Deborah Bergs, they didn't choose this for me. You know, they've tried to be supportive, but to drag my family into this, my daughter hasn't left that house in 10 months. My parents have been isolated for 10 months. They've become deeply depressed, as I'm sure many elderly have, as they've not been able to see their sons, their granddaughters. My parents haven't seen their surviving son for over a year. These are all very difficult things. And that's true. It's very difficult for everybody. Uh, and it's also difficult if you're Deborah Burks. But if you're the one telling people not to go, not to travel during the holidays, as now Fauci is, he says he doesn't want to spoil Christmas, but the people should just be smart about not getting together in large groups and not doing social distancing and not wearing masks and don't travel if you don't have to travel. You know, they have lives, they have families too. They are their political targets, but they're also human beings. Um, Interesting little note here, you know, Curb Your Enthusiasm, Larry David. Uh, apparently, there's going to be a 10th season. I used to love that show. I didn't watch it the last season or two, but the first six seasons I thought were comedy gold. So uh, the producer of the HBO series tells The Hollywood Reporter that they started to write it before COVID hit. Then COVID came and they had to make a decision, you know, once they do it, um, would it would it be like COVID was still going on, but it's going to be come out after COVID's no longer a problem? What do you do with it? So they're going to set the new season in the post-COVID world. COVID definitely happened, and we definitely talk about it. But we're assuming, we were assuming Biden would win, and then things would be better by the fall of 2021. So I haven't seen much of Larry David since he was playing Bernie Sanders on SNL in the campaign last year. But curb your enthusiasm. We'll be back, but not till next year. Uh, by the way, Tesla, you know, which a year ago or so was sort of on the brink of failure, and it wasn't clear whether Elon Musk is going to be, pull it, uh, be able to pull it out. Right now, today, Tesla, this talk about a stock market bubble, is worth more than the other seven leading automakers combined. So the market cap of Tesla is bigger than like Toyota, General Motors, Ford, and you throw in some of the other foreign automakers. Tesla's more valuable than all of them put together. Elon Musk said the other day that he, when things were really bad, he wanted to sell the car company to Apple. 
But the Tim Cook wouldn't even take the meeting. I wonder if Tim Cook has second thoughts now. Um, but, you know, this, this, this bubble is going to be popped. Um, the, the analysis here by Axios is that people who buy the Tesla stock, they're true believers. They're not paying for actually like how many cars it makes and how many profits it makes on each car with its electric cars. They're betting on Elon Musk as a visionary and what he will be able to do in the future. And then stock markets... Uh, the stock price is always a sort of a bet on the future of whatever the company is or on the founder. And finally, you know, one more COVID item. These professional athletes who get paid a lot of money and all they have to do is stay healthy, I just don't understand it. So the Washington football team, previously known as the Redskins, there's a guy who was a first-round pick um, last year for this season, Dwayne Haskins. He is in hot water with the NFL and with his team over an Instagram story that goes viral showing him partying without a mask with a bunch of strippers. Now, ordinarily, I don't really care whether a professional football player parties with a bunch of strippers. You know, they can do whatever they want, consenting adults and all that. In the middle of a pandemic, when you are on a team, and next week is the last week of the regular season, right? Uh, And somebody's taking pictures, then you have to be, what is the technical term, a moron to be doing this. In, uh, in these stories that were posted on Instagram, one woman is sitting on the Washington quarterback's lap, uh, both of them holding wads of cash without masks on. Sounds like a little liquor might have been involved. Just, just guessing. Another shows five maskless women wearing Washington jersey number seven, that's Haskins' number, sipping mimosas around a table. Okay, here comes the ritual apology. I want to publicly apologize for my actions. Says Haskins on Twitter, I spoke with Coach Rivera yesterday and took full accountability for putting the team at risk. It was irresponsible and immature of me and I accept responsibility for my action. Wow. I mean, the Redskins actually are doing not that badly, excuse me, the Washington football team. Um, they look like they're going to make the playoffs. I mean, they have a losing record, but the, the NFC East is so bad that they make it anyway. Anyway, just, you know, if you're lucky enough to play professional sports, can't you at least do the minimum and not put your own teammates and staff at risk? I just don't get it. And with that, my rant is done. We're coming up on Christmas here. I think I'll do the podcast tomorrow, then take off Christmas Day. We'll see about next week. I'll be kind of in and out. Hope you'll subscribe in the meantime. Then you'll always know when there's a new podcast episode. Apple iTunes, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts. We'll see you soon, probably tomorrow, with more BuzzFeed. The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.